Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and joining me is LPJ professional Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts. We're broadcasting live every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network, bringing you some of the best golfers, teacher professionals, and entrepreneurs helping to elevate women's golf. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning, so grab your coffee and let's get started. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside, of course, uh, each and every week is uh, none other than Legends Tour player and LPGA professional Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. Well, it's uh, I, I kind of feel like we're we're a little bit in the twilight zone here. It's uh, obviously, as uh, most of you know out there, we're uh, we're under a global pandemic. Um, with the uh, coronavirus or COVID-19 as it's also referred to. And, and uh, a lot of people are very, uh, Cindy, I would say the least, uh, feeling a little bit disjointed right now and unsure of, of uh, what's going on. And, you know, there's a lot of information going back and forth through a variety of networks and um, healthcare uh, professionals and government officials. And it's uh, very difficult to, uh, to really get a grasp on exactly what sometimes what's going on. But, um, we're glad that you were uh, joining us this morning, and we hope that you're, you know, really following the protocols and staying safe out there. We, you know, we uh, certainly don't want any of you to uh, uh, to come down with this, and uh, and if you are, then uh, uh, again, certainly follow the protocol. But uh, we're glad you joined us this morning, and I know everybody's a little bit bored out there, not sure what to do, and and uh, and sort of hunkering down. So here is a great opportunity to join us this morning, and and uh you know uh certainly learn some information uh about your golf game and and just uh, overall be entertained so we're here to do that for you we got a great guest coming on Cindy this morning Renee Powell she's been on the show uh a few years back and uh she's going to join us on the second half we're going to do things a little bit differently um she's a, an LPGA and PJ uh, uh professional and she's actually the head golf professional at the Clearview Golf Club in Ohio uh, area which uh, was built by her her father uh, William Powell um, and uh, we're going to ask her a little bit about that and, and talk to her about him and and what she's been doing uh, over uh, the many decades that she's been involved in the golf profession um, but first uh, we're going to start off with of course another uh, episode if you will of the no BS zone and uh, Cindy we got a, a really a great discussion this morning this is one um, I must confess, I did not put this together. I actually came across this, and I just found it very, very interesting. And um, I thought this would be something to share. And, and the, the, the title of today's discussion is, Which Mental Time Zone Do You Operate In? And I just thought it was very, very interesting, and I was reading it. It was a pretty lengthy article, as I'm sure you saw when I forwarded you the notes. Um, so I'm just going to read a little bit out here, and then we'll get into our discussion. So for you golfers out there, I want you to imagine – uh, that, and I'm sure many of you fall into this category, reached a point with your golf development where you have run out of ideas um, on how to improve your game. Uh, you hit the sort of proverbial wall, uh, and progress has come to a sudden uh, bone-jarring halt, if you will. 
possibly you've been stuck on a particular uh, score average or handicap for months or even years and just can't seem to, to budge uh, no matter what uh, you do. So it's kind of a, uh, Cindy, kind of a scary thought for a lot of folks that are out there and working hard on their game and they just don't seem to be improving. Um, and, but, you know, it's, it's certainly daunting, but no, uh, by no means is uncommon. Uh, many advanced golfers come to a fork in their golf development pathway um, where they don't know which way to go. So they often describe the sensation as being stuck or, or even in a rut. Uh, we've re- even heard some professional golfers have uh, mentioned that over the years as well. So um, have you ever experienced this? Uh, yes, we all do. Uh, maybe you have or maybe you haven't as of yet, but uh, Cindy, I would say one thing for certain, every golfer will go through a period of golf famine, if you will, with uh, their game. And uh, so we hope uh, w- with a little help from us, uh, we can get you through it and on a better, uh, onto better scores and more success with your game. So let's get right down to it. So um, this is golf improvement, uh, which mental time zone you operate uh, in. And it's really kind of interesting, and, and uh, I, I want to just read out uh, just a little bit more, and then we're going to get into to the actual discussion. So um, we've observed, um, Cindy, I know you have, as well as I and many of the other uh, golf professionals out there, uh, common characteristics with advanced golfers, especially those who believe their game, again, is, is stuck in a rut. Um, so, you know, when you practice or play golf, you rely on your memory uh, to determine how you play shots uh, and often uh, whether they're successful or not. And uh, so when you access this stored information about your, your previous experiences, you essentially are accessing a catalog, if you will, or the old mental Rolodex uh, and experiences from your pulling ex- on, on experiences from your past and using it to make decisions uh, and execute shots in the present. Um, a perfect example of this is how does a chronic slicer of the ball know uh, that they slice when they arrive at the first tee? Um, and that's because they're, they're drawing on some of these past experiences. So, the question I, I want for golfers to ask is, is really what is um, your sort of motivational strategy for getting things done? And here's really three uh, categories. Um, in the present, uh, I'll do it now. We often hear people that uh, sort of are in the moment um, will say that. Um, in the future, I'll, I'll get to it later. We often hear that as well for, for somebody that wants to sort of put it down the road. Uh, and, of course, past, uh, I've done it before. I know how to do it. Uh, so those are common phrases sometimes we hear. And, uh, and Cindy, we're going to start with past-oriented golfers or often referred to as the historians. Uh, these golf- golfers often uh, reference their improvement strategies uh, the most from past experiences. They say things like, I've always done it this way or that way, or my teacher has always told me this. And they quite often find it difficult to plan uh, in the f- into the future because of the strong orientation and ties with the past. And Cindy, I, I was thinking a, p- a perfect, really example of this is we often see golfers who, again, are really struggling with their game. Will often do this. Um, they will think of past uh, disappointments in their game, uh, past holes that they've played unsuccessfully, and when they get up over that ball, suddenly all of those thoughts come running in. And this is something I know that you've uh, seen. Why don't you just? Maybe touch a little bit about that, uh, if you wouldn't mind, about golfers that sort of think in that mindset. Are you talking about them accessing good memories or bad memories? 
Well, bad memories. Obviously, um, you know, we, we obviously do. If we have good memories, we're going to access uh, that information. We, we need to do that. But many golfers that uh, predominantly stay in that past sort of mindset, if you will, with everything that they do, um, are not only accessing the good stuff, but they're also accessing the bad stuff as well. So that's what I'm getting to. Well, in my opinion, then they're allowing themselves to be a victim of their own poor play or their memories, if you will. I think, uh, you know, I, when I access the past, I'm trying to remember a really good shot. When the, when the little gerbil in my head says, um, oh, this was terrible, you hate this hole, I acknowledge that and say, oh, thank you, but I'm busy doing this over here, and I have to change my thought process. So I believe that if you access the past and, and you are afraid of a hole, you don't like a hole, you know you always slice it on this hole, and again, you're just allowing yourself to fail. So I think you need to, number one, become aware of it and and acknowledge that you're allowing yourself to be a victim, and then you need to change up what you're saying and do something different. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this type of golfer that, that tends to um, – I'll give you another example. They, they like to bring up past stories of their accomplishments and shots they played, and they tend to uh, be very excellent, if you will, at remembering detail in their past lessons. Um, and they also seem to be golfers who can tell you exactly where they were and who they were playing uh, with uh, because they have excellent recall for past events. And that can be both a positive and negative. Um, the past-oriented golfer, if you will, uh, improvement strategy is to acknowledge that even though achieved great accomplishments in their past uh, progress is made by imagining very specific outcomes, they would like to uh, say, as an example, achieve within the next four weeks or so, um, and that whatever they decide is important to them needs to link into greater achievement as they wish to accomplish um, for longer periods into the future. One of the problems is um, with that type of golfer sometimes is they, they can also be inclined to be very stubborn and resist new information unless it is consistent with uh, successful strategies they have used in the past. So in other words, if somebody's struggling with their game and they come to you, Cindy, for uh, a lesson and you're trying to show them maybe a, a slightly different way of approaching a particular program, they can get very frustrated and struggle to make progress because they're only remembering kind of what they want to remember and they're not willing to sort of discharge some of that um, uh, bad information, if you will, because they've, they've clung on to it so, so tightly. Um, so it, it, it's very, very <laughs> difficult sometimes. Well, true, right? I mean, uh, how many times have you well, had uh, it's, a Again, lesson? it's like, you know, all right, if you're Mr. Know-it-all, why are you paying me to come here when I'm going to help you get out of your misery? So right. what yeah. I would say, you know, like, oh, 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 I, I can't do that. Or, oh, no, I do it right. like this. And I'm saying, okay, then let's try it your way and see where the ball goes. You know, if you mm -hmm. can fix it, you don't need me. And I'm okay right. with that. Right. I, I'm fine but with that. But so again, yeah, they they don't want to hear it. Is the problem? Right. They get stuck in the past. They they live in the past. And and again, don't get me wrong. There are obviously certain good points and information. The problem is, as I as I mentioned, is they become very stubborn and unwilling to adapt to 
new theories or new changes because they're they're kind of they're kind of set in their way, I guess is is the best way to put it. Uh, and you know, obviously, the reason they're coming to you is because they've they've got a problem. Um, they've now gotten a rut or a slump. So by being stubborn like that and not being willing to uh, you know experiment and look at new uh, opportunities to make some change then you're basically crippling yourself. And, and that's really the, the purpose of, of this discussion this morning is to sort of identify the three different characteristics because you know, even though we do draw on our past and we obviously are playing in the moment, which would be uh, present, um, and obviously we're, we are going to at some point think of, of future um, opportunities and so forth, sometimes if people get stuck into one or, or the other, um, and, and we're going to move on to the next one, um, which is the uh, present-oriented uh, golfers or the journalists, as they're often referred to. Uh, these are the golfers whose tendency is to experiment and dabble with different methods, and they rarely stay with any uh, method of improvement for, uh, for very long. Uh, they get distracted easily and struggle to maintain consistent routines as a result. They also like to change clubs on a regular basis because they are always looking for improvement and short-term gain and they usually know a lot about the latest golf club technology from manufacturers. So these are the ones that like to do a lot of research. Um, you know, they're always watching uh, lots of videos and internet looking for the best thing to work on. Um, and a high proportion of Gen X's and millennials uh, would fit into this category simply because they've been brought up in technology. So the information age, and this has dramatically affected how they experience the world around them. Um, so the, the, the strategy of the, the present-oriented golfer uh, improvement strategy is based around finding their bright and shiny objects or uniqueness um, and strategies or technology that uh, they haven't heard of or used that captures their attention and generate a lot. Of, so in other words, Cindy, and, and again, I, I know you've had these types of golfers as well, where they come out and the first thing they do in the lesson is they're telling you, well, I watched this video on YouTube or I was reading this article and they're, they're sort of dissecting a specific, um, you know, methodology or what have you. And it's good to have uh, discussions, but they're always looking for the latest, greatest thing. And they're not really focused sometimes on maybe what you want them to be focused on. Um, maybe you can expand a little bit on that. You, you know the, the individuals that I'm talking about. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do, I do. So, again, I don't know how many of these individuals would sign up for a lesson, to be honest with you. And I don't know that they would be listening to our show right now uh, because I don't know how teachable they are. But I would say to you, I I tend to be a seeker, but in my experience and my uh, long-term gained wisdom, I have learned there is no magic cure. So right. I investigate and inspect the source. So I would say to the uh, <coughs> present present people that. Ask yourself the question, does this make sense? Should I do this? Why do they say this is the way? There is no magic cure or magic club. Now, maybe some clubs will fit you better than others, but if you're um, the present-oriented golfer, you've tried everything. And 
yeah, you keep thinking the answer is out there instead of looking in the mirror to say, oh, maybe it's inside me. So right. that's what I would say. I would say it's time to stop and reflect and inspect the source and then understand the facts. So when someone comes in for a lesson with me and the ball keeps doing what it's doing and they say, what, a, what was that? Right. Well, you just, top, you just topped it. Well, why? Well, where are you looking? Are you looking mm-hmm. at the ball? Well, yeah. They told me to keep my eye on the ball. I go, well, I don't want you to look at the ball. I want you to look at the grass behind the ball. Well, why? Because the club's got to go down to make the ball go up. So then I, I might even put garbage behind the ball and say, all right, make that go up. Would you want me to hit the ball? Well, the ball's going to get in the way. So, again, it's just their mindset. No one's trying to miss it on purpose. Of course you know, not. I've yep. never met anyone who tries to miss it on purpose. So, so the, the answer is, you know, stop and reflect and try to inspect the source because otherwise you're going to drive yourself nuts. I've been there. Yep. It's not worth the It's not worth the trip. Yeah, and- yeah, and we all have, as, as I mentioned in the in the opening comments, you know, if you haven't been there yet, I guarantee you, uh, you know, even the best players in the world uh, get into those sort of, uh, you know, feast or famine uh, situations where, you know, suddenly their game kind of just peters out. They're not really seeing, um, you know, any improvement or they're not really experiencing anything. And, and something else about the, the um, just to sort of further your point, um, with a lot of the present-oriented golfers, is they like to change instructors and teachers more often, uh, as they like to f- um, they like fresh information and get tend to uh, be, these individuals tend to get bored very easily uh, with repetitive instruction. So they want to know, um, you know, what's going on in in golf. They're always the ones to ask uh, because they read lots, of, as I said, lots of uh, golf-related content on the internet or. Uh, subscribe to monthly magazines and often have very active Twitter accounts. You know, they're, they're very, very engaged in social media. And that sometimes can work against you um, because, uh, again, you know, there's a lot of great instructors out there. You know, Cindy, I know you've got your website and, and, and many others out there, which has some great information. But there's also a lot of sites out there with misinformation. And the problem is it, it can get very confusing if you're reading too many uh, different things and not really focusing on, um, you know, one individual that you're working with, um, it, it, it can be very distracting because a lot of times, you know, you're, you're going to tell your students based on um, what you're seeing, what the, what the best uh, results might be, but then if somebody's chirping in their ear somewhere else or, or some other visual cue that they're seeing uh, maybe approaches it a slightly different way, um, it, it sends a lot of misinformation. So it can be very, very difficult uh, for, for a lot of golfers, uh, in, again, in this category as well, that, that seek out a lot of information. Um, all right, our, our last category is the future-oriented golfers or the visionaries. Uh, these are the golf dreamers uh, who are very good at setting targets and goals to drive them uh, and their game forward. Uh, they often talk uh, and reference future events and use uh, this to get excited about how good uh, their future events are going to be, and they uh, like to describe their improvement in terms of what it will be like when they when they get there. So they're not really living uh, in the moment. Sometimes they're they're often thinking about down the road, which you know you have to do that to a certain degree. Um, and, and their uh, golf improvement strategy is that they are often so far ahead in of the future that they can find it difficult to do a good job. Uh, of their daily process that will get them there. So 
Um, they need to have short-term goals for the day, and that gets them working on the specific uh, processes, if you will, that will improve their chances of achieving their outcomes in the future. So, uh, you know, as an example, Cindy, you know, a lot of times we, you know, you might uh, have, have a golfer that comes to you that's maybe interested in getting, uh, maybe trying to make it into a Division One uh, college and play on, on the golf team, um, but they're not really focusing in the moment, and they're thinking about down the road or they want to get onto the LPGA or the PGA or what have you. And their thoughts are so far ahead that they're not really thinking about, okay, what do I need to do to get there? And, and I know you're going to really talk about this because you've worked with a lot of uh, young folks who want to go on that path specifically. So talk about just a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, you know, when you're faced with a student like that, that has those dreams and ambitions, which is great, um, but maybe they're thinking too far down the road and they're not in the now. Um, what, what would be the conversation that you might have with them? Well, you need to have a game plan, if you will, and help them understand that there's going to be uh, small steps and progress that need to be made, and this is where we're going to start. And then this, once you accomplish this task and goal, then we're going to move on to the next one. And that's, I got to tell you, one of the reasons that we purchased Operation 36 for our, our students, um, Operation right. 36 is a program that teaches you not only how to play and how to hit the shots, but how to score. And it measures students um, across their app. It has access and levels that you can rate yourself of where you are at your certain age group um, if you want to play D1, D2, D3 college golf. So it's really amazing because um, you'll have parents that come in and say, oh, you know, they're, they're really doing well. And it's like, well, there might be a big fish in a small pond here, but they really need to produce a little better. And, Needless right. to say, then you have the other one who says, you know, oh, my kid's not good enough. Well, actually, your kid's two years ahead of where they should be at age 13. They're doing great. So that's what uh, I believe Operation 36 will do is help you understand this is where you are now. This is where you need to be. And, and then I'm going to help you know what to work on to get to where you want to go. So absolutely. Right. And the funny thing is, is all of these uh, – Mental golf, wherever you are, you know, what what uh, what did you call it? Um, what mental time zone are you in? So the time yes. zone, needless to say, the past, the present, and the future, you need a little bit of all of it to be a really good player. Right. Um, there was this, Alan will tell you this, my husband, who played on tour for a long time, that Jack Nicholas does not remember ever three-putting to lose a tournament. And he was in, right. a, in a press conference, and one of the reporters said, well, Jack, actually, you, you three-putted on this hole, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I've never three-putted to, to lose a tournament. So he's talked his brain into not ever believing that he did that. And so, you know, good for him. Do we want to argue with right. success? So there's no. times, you know, I've got a couple par threes at French Lick in Indiana that I can already feel my body going, oh, boy, here we go. You know, so, <laughs> you know, it's called the the pucker factor, your butt cheeks clench. So mm -hmm. you have to um, be aware of what your internal talk is 
and learn to right. get over it. Right. Or it's not going to help and you at all. Right. And, and you're exactly right um, in, in your analogy. You, you have to sort of um, the thing that you want to keep in mind with these sort of time orientations that, that we're discussing is that you will use them uh, really all of them every day. However, you will notice by paying attention uh, to the way you describe your approach to golf improvement that it will be influenced by your sense of time in the present, past or future. And that's really what what the, you know what I'm trying to say here with this discussion is uh, exactly as you said, Cindy, you know, you want to have a little bit of each because obviously you are going to, you know, as you had successes, um, every, you know, good player will tell you this, that they're going to draw on those past experiences. Um, the problem is that if you get stuck in the past, especially if you're struggling with your game and, and you keep bringing it into the present um, and you're thinking, okay, just as you mentioned there about French lick, you know, you've got some par threes that you've struggled with. If you're constantly bringing that negative energy into your game, then you're going to continue to struggle and you're going to continue to um, draw back on negative past experiences. Uh, just like, you know, when, when you get up on the first tee, uh, if you're somebody that's, which we all are, you know, has the, the, sort of those first tee jitters and you're saying, well, I always, you know, duck hook it or I slice it or top it or whatever. If that's the, the thought process that you're, you're taking to that first tee, then likely the outcome is going to be exactly what you're thinking. So you have to, you know, change the way you're thinking and you have to um, certainly draw on past experiences and you want to bring those into the future or into the present. Uh, and you certainly want to be thinking of, of future things down the road, but it, there's an equal balance. So you want to pay attention to what you're saying and notice the clues and the way you express yourself to others. And by following, um, you know, what we're saying here, uh, you know, from this particular article, you'll get a sense of your time and balance with your improvement strategies and you will sort of get out, uh, out of that rut and back into track of golf improvement. And, and the thing is when you are Cindy, when you're able to identify um, where your problem areas are, not just in your game, but in your thought process as well, things start to become a lot clearer and you, you look at things differently. Um, you know, when you're working with your instructor, if you're, if you're sort of being open-minded, even if you've typically had success in the past, if you're obviously going to the instructor because you're having problems, then you want to be receptive and open-minded to, to what that individual has to say um, and not just be so, you know, narrow focused and saying, well, no, no, no I'm, you know, I'm, I'm coming here, but you know, I've, I've got my own, you know, way of thinking here uh, because it's just going to be a waste of time for both parties. And um, I, I think that's, uh, you know, probably the best way to put it. Any, any final thoughts and then we'll, we'll move on. No, I just, I would challenge our listeners to try to blend a mixture of all time zones and, and mm -hmm. make create goals that you can reach and know what steps you have to take to get there. Well said. All right. Um, that is of course uh, the no BS zone. And next week we'll have another uh, topic of discussion that we will bring into the zone. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to get ready for our special guest, Renee Powell, um, Cindy, let's uh, take a moment and listen to a great uh, promotional uh, spot that, uh, that you've put together. Uh, do you want to just cue us up? If you are looking to play the game and use it as a business tool, have a listen. Everyone knows business deals are made on the golf course. Knowing how to act is just as important as how you hit it. As an LPGA professional and corporate trainer, I offer workshops, seminars, and executive retreats to teach you how to do both. 
From the back nine to the boardroom, improve your team from the inside out, or Golf 101 for executives might be the perfect fit for your team. Maybe it's time to make some deals on the course. For more information, go to cindymillerinc.com. And as I've said before, um, Cindy is a great, great professional to work with. Uh, um, go to cindymillerinc.com and check out um, all of the great ways that you can connect with her and and um, and get in touch with her as well. Um, Cindy, while we're waiting for Renee <clears throat> to come on board before I, I go through uh, a few of the um, um, uh, bio points and so forth, um, I thought this would be a, a, a great opportunity to really talk about uh, something. We'll get into maybe even a little more detail. Um, that might be a good topic for next week, given the current uh, uh, global environment. But obviously, a lot of folks um, are, are not able to get out. Uh, they've been in sort of a lockdown, if you will, and uh, they're stuck at home. Uh, I know there are still golf courses open, but they're starting to uh, to adhere to, um, uh, again, the sort of economic, uh, uh, not economic, but this uh, global climate. Um, what are some things that, that you see that, that golfers can do while they're at home, uh, you know, while they're kind of stuck at home and, and not able to get out to the course or to work on their game, what are some things that maybe uh, you would suggest to some of your students um, that they could do while they're at home to kind of keep themselves in, in golf shape, if you will, uh, as they get ready? The easiest thing you could do is take a yardstick and lay it on the ground and place a golf ball on top of the little hole the yardstick has to hang it on a display rack in the store and keep the ball on the yardstick the whole time. So I would say, you know, to putt on a yardstick and see how many you can make go all the way down the yardstick and not fall off. That's a great practice drill. Yeah, that's great. That, that, I, that is a great one. And I've, I've uh, actually done that myself over the years. Um, what's really nice about that is, you know, you're, when you keep the putt online like that for um, the length of a yardstick, which is, of course, um, uh, depending on whether three you're measuring feet. in meters or yards, right, three feet, um, you know, you know you're going to be on, on the right path. And uh, it's going to tell you very, very quickly um, a lot of information about your putting stroke. So that's a great one as well. Um, something else that you can do is, as well, I know a lot of folks right now are, um, that are um, sort of locked in at home are watching uh, a lot of television, you know, Netflix, I'm sure their stocks are, are raising and some of the other uh, providers. But, um, and, and that's fine. Obviously, you've got to find ways of entertaining yourself. But there's a lot of other things that you can do as well. Uh, if you've got the um, you know, if you've got a mirror at home that's uh, fairly large enough that you can kind of stand in front of and, and just kind of check out, you know, get a, get a club and you don't have to be swinging the club, but just um, you can be working on your fundamentals, put a ball down and, and just sort of check um, and make sure that, you know, all of the points that you want to identify, you know, that you're in a good posture, that you're uh, set up correctly, you know, you can work on your grip. There's a lot of different things as well. And also from a physical standpoint, if you're not able to get out to a gym, uh, as an example, um, there's a lot of things that you can do. Obviously, you can do little workouts at home, but stretching is a big one. One of the problems that, especially for, for those Cindy up in the Northeast that kind of uh, like the bear hibernate for, for several months and not out there working on their game, and then they get out there, they're stiff, their muscles are tight, um, do some great stretching. 
uh, exercises. Uh, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, certainly, obviously, you want to consult with, uh, um, uh, maybe not at this time, but uh, there's a lot of great uh, uh, health providers and, and physicians online that will help walk you through that process to make sure that uh, you're not doing something that's going to be harmful to you. But that's a great way is keeping those muscles uh, loose and stretched um, is a great way so that you're not getting stiff and tightened up, um, you know, sitting around for uh, for possibly the next couple of weeks. So um, just some things to do. And, and uh, putting is a great one, obviously, and you can kind of make it fun if you've got the kids home with you and that. You can kind of get them involved as well and make, make some little putting games, uh, you know, in, in the house. And, again, don't be swinging the, the big club inside because, uh, you know, you don't want to be breaking lamps or, or windows or things like that. But uh, um, there's a lot of things that you can do. Um, but, anyways, I, I see that Renee is, uh, is ready. So let me just read a little bit about uh, our, our special guest this morning. Uh, again, uh, her name is Renee Powell. She's been on the show before. She's an LPGA and PGA head golf professional at the Clearview Golf Club. Uh, she is one of the most uh, resilient and uh, persevering athletes of our time. Uh, she was raised on the East uh, Canton, Ohio golf course, uh, built by her father, uh, William uh, Bill Powell, uh, during times of racial adversity and uh, segregation. Uh, Renee learned early on what it uh, is meant to excel against the odds and by the age of three she was swinging the golf club for the first time and early into her teenage years uh, she had won more than 30 tournaments in 1967 she became the second african-american woman to compete on the lpga tour and as the tour uh, as a tour player she uh, competed in more than 250 uh, professional tournaments and won the 1973 kelly springfield open in brisbane australia australia excuse me um Cindy, let's welcome uh, our very special guest this morning renee powell Good morning, my friend. Good morning. How are you? Good to, good to hear your voice and good to talk to you this morning. You too. Well, how are you doing Very down there? Good. Well, we are hanging in here. Um, we don't have any snow. <laughs> we have rain. And I have a lot of open space to walk on. <laughs> well, that's a blessing. That is, you're right. So, how are things up your way? Uh, same here. It's a little chilly. We're trapped like rats with no cheese in the house. Uh, <laughs> we gave a couple lessons last week, but we are on hold now. Right. I sure hope. I so I have to ask. We're not going to cancel your event, are we? Yet? Well, not yet. We're uh, hopefully things will have turned around enough that. Uh, we will get back to some sort of normalcy, which will be a little bit different than what we've had. But hopefully, um, you know, things will still move along. And in in June, I'll be able to see you. Okay, doke. Great. Ted, go ahead. You can start. All right. Um, good morning and welcome, uh, Renee, uh, back to uh, the Women of Golf show. And, and thank you for taking time this morning to, to join us. Um, I wanted to start off before we, we talk about Clearview uh, Golf Club, um, to really talk about the, the gentleman that was ins- inspirational and instrumental in putting it together. Uh, and of course, I'm talking about your father, uh, Bill Powell. Um, who was he and how did he become interested initially in golf? Well, he grew up in a, a small town just at 10 miles from where we are now, uh, where he built a golf course. And Back in 1926, they were building a golf course. They actually had nine holes in, and he and a little friend had walked down the railroad tracks, and they'd walked all afternoon, I guess, and came upon this open space with 
these people that he said had sticks in their hands, hitting this ball, looked like they were trying to hit it to lose it, and then they walked and not ran to try to find it to hit it again. So he <laughs> fell in love with golf. He thought, wow, that's you know, because kids at that age, at nine years of age, you know, they run to everything, and, you know, things are exciting to them, and this is something that was so totally different, and he was fascinated by it. He ended up working at this golf course, you know, through the years as, as through high school and grade school, and he ended up taking up the game at the age of nine. Um, my grandmother worked for a did day work for a, a doctor, a local doctor in town. Uh, my grandmother would take my dad to work with her because he was the youngest, and the doctor found out that my dad loved golf, and he would take him to uh, the golf course with him, and he, my dad became the doctor's playing partner, and his little friend became the doctor's caddy. <laughs> Very good. You know, it, it, it's interesting when you think about how people get interested in the game. Obviously, some, you know, perhaps grew up in a family that uh, had golfers in it, so um, whether it be a parent or what have you, and they, they sort of teach the next generation to and introduce them to the game, and then some sort of much like your father, kind of stumble on it, uh, you know, um, during a, a leisurely walk, if you will, and, and say, hey, this is something that looks kind of interesting. Um, where was the, the turning point, do you feel? Obviously, you know, from a very early age, he got out and he, and he started to play and, and learn and understand the game and obviously had, had the benefits of, of working uh, a little bit in that environment. But Walk us through a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. There came a point in time he said, you know what, we need to expand this um, this game um, and make it available for, for many, many others that maybe typically would not have that opportunity. And he made a decision at some point to um, accept the challenge, if you will, and, and built the Clearview Golf Club. Tell us a little bit about that story. Well, he grew up actually in a town in uh, it's called Minerva, Ohio, and their family was the only black family in the town. And so my dad and his older brother started the very first high school golf team that they ever had. And after high school, my dad wasn't able to play at the same courses that he could as a high school student because he was with the team. And um, he had attempted to play and eventually got into this one tournament but uh, when, when he was like 16 years old and he walked like 21 miles one way to go to the tournament, he got there. They didn't mm. know what to do with him because he was the only black kid there. Right. And he eventually, they eventually let him play. But um, he, at that time, he then decided, because he had always done things over the years with youth golf, and he decided at that point that he was – never going to do something to dissuade youngsters from playing the game of golf. And he was always going to do things to open doors for for youth to play the game because of what he went mm-hmm. through. So um, actually he then, uh, he and his older brother started the uh, first golf team at Wilberforce University. And as a matter of fact, the very first golf team played, golf match played between a, historically black college and a white college in the United States was played in 1937, and my dad and my uncle were part of that team. Um, Mm -hmm. And then fast forward to World War II, went away to World War II. Of all places, he ended up in Scotland and England. And uh, as a golfer, I guess that that would be the best place to go, you know, uh, (laughs) at that time. 
and he found right. that he was welcome to play golf at the at different courses there, you know, on a day off. The members w- would let him use their clubs and would let him play the courses. And he said he thought after spending three years over there that when he came back home that things would have changed. And when he came back, he found out that they had not. And that's when he decided that he was going to do something to make a major difference because he absolutely despised you know, segregation and, and uh, right. prejudice, how uh, Clearview came into existence. Very, very interesting. And, and um, you know, it just, it just goes to, I guess, the point that when you have a mindset that I can, um, it's amazing what you can accomplish. And obviously your father um, had that gift uh, of, you know, I can do anything I set my mind to. And he rose to that challenge and decided through um, golf that this would be a great opportunity, as you said, to, to really um, bring youth, if you will. And I think that that was a fantastic way to, to approach it. Um, Cindy, go ahead. I'm gonna, I have some more questions, but you go ahead. So, Tell us how he built the golf course because this is unbelievable. Well, he didn't have equipment. He had, uh, and I guess being in Scotland, England, seeing the courses there and so many of the natural elements, um, he he was so determined um, and just persevered to do something that was that is unbelievable. He had only a hand feeder. And with the hand seeder around his neck that, you know, you turn it and it spreads the seed in small areas. But he literally walked back and forth on every single fairway, which is how every fairway on the original nine holes was seeded. With him just spreading the seed, turning this little hand seeder and, um, um, uh, you know, spreading the seed to, to grow the, grow the grass. He, Actually, it was an old dairy farm. It was a run-down dairy farm that was no longer in use. And, um, you know, there were a lot of rocks and things out there, and he had to, by hand, just pull a lot of fence posts out, um, you know, and and, uh, take a lot of rocks out of the ground. And uh, he was such a visionary. And I guess it was just like really being like an artist, being like a painter of where you – of – where things go and, and looking at, um, uh, you know, where a green would go and where the fairways would go. And, and the stream runs all through the golf course, and he used that stream that runs the course to put holes in diff- various places. So a lot of times people will say, well, you know, who laid out the golf course for him? He, they would ask him, and he said, nobody did. I did. Um, I've run to people that said, oh, I remember when your dad bought the golf course. I said, he didn't buy the golf course. He built the golf course. But he was just <laughs> so, so determined to make a difference for for everyone, for men, for women, for uh, for youth, regardless of your religion, the color of your hair, your eyes, your skin. He just felt that everyone should have an opportunity to play the game of golf which he actually fell in love with at the age of nine and played for the next 84 years of his life. Wow. Fantastic. Um, Cindy? So tell us what you do with the women who have served and are serving our country. 
Well, you know, my, as I said, my dad was a World War II veteran, and then I actually had an opportunity during the uh, Vietnam War, and Mary Lou Crocker, who uh, played on the tour with us, uh, Mary Lou and I were asked to go to Vietnam back in 1971 during the war with, uh, with USO. And because I felt that it was the one thing that I could do uh, in the height of the war where so many of our youngsters were over there and to take a little bit of home to them, I did that. And I think that had become something that really settled in my mind a lot, the fact that Daddy was a World War II veteran, the fact that I had gone to Vietnam and always in support of those who serve us and allow us to be free and and uh, enjoy freedom. So when I was um, um, told by a friend of mine at the PGA of America about, uh, they created a program called PGA Hope, and he was telling me how women veterans had no golf programs or recreational programs to fall back on like the men did. I sort of looked into it, and actually the state of Ohio has sent more uh, individuals to war, and we've had more veterans in this state than any other state. We're also the first state to to have a um, created in Ohio as the Ohio Veterans Hall of Fame. Uh, so anyway, what I decided to do then, I looked into it and thought, oh my gosh, he's absolutely right. And I decided to create a program for women military veterans. That uh, because so many of our women are dealing with PTSD, we've got Purple Hearts, and people always would look at women uh, serving in the military as maybe just being a secretary or not really out in the battlefield, uh, not on the front line where things were happening. And I learned so much about it, and we created this program. It's called Clearview Hope, so it's based on the PGA Hope program, named after Clearview. And one by one, I found women, and there are roughly about a little over 50 on our roster, and we have, uh, it's a cost-free year-round program for women military veterans, about women from the pre-Vietnam era all the way to Afghanistan, and we have all five branches of service that are represented. Uh, When we finally got a Coast Guard, Oh my gosh, I was so excited. I couldn't even remember her first name. I just called her Coastie because <laughs> I was so excited to have a Coast Guard, too. And just to listen to them, I never asked them questions, but listen to some of the things that they've gone through. And I've had probably a half a dozen women or more come to me to say that this program has literally saved my life. And when people say that to you, you really get chills. And you really, you know, I'm so proud of the fact that my dad worked with, you know, God gives all of his talents. But I had some talents. My dad developed those. And I'm able to use those talents to help our women veterans to enjoy the day, to come out of their houses, to um, they're in a safe place, and to enjoy a new sport that they never, ever thought they could play. Isn't that awesome, Ted? Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, you know, again, it just 
really goes to show the you know the legacy that your father really uh, created and just how far reaching golf in general has has you know be, become through uh, people like your dad and, and I want to ask you um, you know because obviously there's I'm sure there's many many things that, that you've learned from him but what particular do you think that you learned from your father that has really helped you today where you are well knowing that um, uh, no matter what adversity might be out there that um, you know set a goal and um, uh, just excuse me just get to the other side um, to that you can achieve anything that you want to achieve in life yeah I, th- I think that's some great um, great words of wisdom. Now you have also, um, in addition to playing, um, this great game, of course, you also teach this game. What is it in your opinion, before we get into a little bit about the teaching side of things, what is it about golf? Do you think that people just seem to grab, I mean, you know, as you know, and and Cindy and I know, uh, it, it can be a tough game at times. Um, but why do we love it so much? Do you think? What is it about golf that we just love? (laughs) It can be a tough. It can be a tough game all the time. Um, But you know what? It's it's, the thing is, is that it's it's you as an individual that is doing something. You know, it's not that you have to rely upon somebody else. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think as a little girl, I ran into a lot of difficulties. um, You know, when it came to racism and prejudice. But what I found was, I'd be out there with the with my golf club, with my golf balls, I hit a golf ball, you get it airborne, you know that you did it. And that yep. golf ball doesn't fuck back to you. It doesn't give you negative <laughs> feedback, you know? And, right. and it's a challenge. It's a personal challenge. And you're out with nature. I mean, where else where, where else could you be where you could enjoy, you know, just looking at life? You know, there's life in the trees and life in the grass and and um, there's no better place than a golf course, I think. And, you know, I feel like my dad, you know, that everyone should have this opportunity. But I think that people love it because of the fact that it's something that they can do. And I think that you look at the game of life and, and, and you look at the game of golf and you can sort of compare the two. I mean, you can get up in the morning and, and you can you can say, wow, it's a really lousy day, you know. It might be rainy, it might be snowing, but at least you're giving up. But you can look at a golf course, and you can look at, at uh, to the right, it might be out of bounds, or to the left, it might be a water hazard, but you look down the fairway, you know, and it's something positive. Uh, so it's a personal challenge, which does not rely upon anyone else but yourself. That is an excellent way of putting it, Renee. Um, you're exactly right. You know, we've talked about this on the show before that how golf really and life mimic one another. You know, you get faced with a lot of different adversities and challenges in our lives uh, as we do out in the golf course. And um, they really do complement one another and they help you uh, overcome some of those by, um, you know, being uh, persevere through the many challenges that you face on both sides. And, and I think they certainly help one another. Um, just one final question I have, and then Cindy, I'm going to uh, put it back to you. Is uh, as I mentioned, um, in addition to playing, you also teach. What do you like most about teaching golf? Well, I, I think that what I enjoy the most is seeing people accomplish something. 
You know, they come to us because they want to learn or they want to improve or, you know, they, you know, they have little goals and things that they want to do and reasons why they come. And so my thing is to help them fulfill and things that they want to do. And so that's what really brings a lot of joy to me is seeing seeing your pupils leave happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and, you know, it's a lot, um, you know, they obviously have a part to play. I mean, we provide them with the tools and the, and the, and the training, if you will, to become better golfers. Um, but the golfer has their part as well. And I think that sometimes, Cindy, I think you would agree is the challenges today is to getting, getting them out there and, and working on some of the different fundamentals and some of the different things that we've, we've uh, instilled in them. Uh, everybody's, you know, and we talked about this earlier in, the, in our discussion is that everybody's sort of in the now they want, you know, they want the short term <laughs> fixes and, and so forth. And, and Renee, I know you, you see that as well. Um, Cindy, go ahead. I know you've uh, got some more questions. Tell us, um, I know that you and your brother run the facility now, mm-hmm. and you you have a pro-am that, you know, a lot of the tour players you played with and new ones and younger ones come and raise money for the Clearview Legacy Hope Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us the passion and motivation that your father passed down to you, which has allowed you to continue on his mission? What's the one thing, the burn? What's your burn? Well, I guess the one thing is, and it's also what my mom did too, was passing on the fact that you always have to give back to society and and that no matter who you are, um, every person can do something to make, to make our society better. And the way I find that I can do it mostly, and, and, you know, I've done a lot of programs, like, all over the world, and the program that I feel um, uh, I get the most reward from is this program with our women veterans. And And I think it's because of the fact that they signed on the dotted line, they went wherever we the government said that they needed to go. And um, and the one thing that I can do is to give them something. And it's my way of thank- allowing us to, helping to allow us to have freedom, uh, for allowing, helping to allow us to be safe. And I think that is, that is what uh, really drives me to do what I do. Is it because you admire their sacrifice for us? Uh, I, I think a lot of that has to do with it, Cindy, uh, because I certainly, you know, when I stand and when I'm talking to them, I re- always realize I'm looking at all these people that have served. They're all veterans, and I'm still a civilian. I'm a part of what they do. I run what they do but I'm still a civilian and I haven't made the sacrifice that a lot of them have made. And, um, and I see a lot of them that who have made these sacrifices have come back with um, not completely whole as when they left. 
So there are a lot oh, of God physical and a lot of mental challenges. And, and golf is what I know. Golf is what we know. It's something I've right. always done. And um, it's the one thing that I can do to, to contribute to society. And to serve them. And, give and them to, hope. Absolutely, to absolutely serve them, Cindy. And I oh, love God it. I love you. what I do. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, sometimes a lot of these um, veterans that come back, sometimes they just need a distraction. Um, you know, and golf has, has really, um, there are obviously many people in, including yourself that have really reached out to uh, the veteran community and, and said, look, we're, we want to, you know, help in any way we can. And I know you do a lot of great work. And obviously, as you just pointed out, you use the game itself to, to and the tools that you've learned uh, to be able to help uh, many of these folks, um, both men and women, really navigate through a very challenging time. Um, so as we wrap up, uh, sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to say one thing. I wanted to say one thing. I was going to say that, and as Cindy had mentioned, you know, a lot of the lady pros come here, and the fact that these women are able to meet these women celebrities that that treat them so special, mm-hmm. and they absolutely love it. And so, you know, that too is is uh, is very is very special. So I, you know, I always have to thank all my women like Cindy and. And all the others that come here that uh, are just so kind and so generous to be here uh, uh, and help in in the ways that they can help too. I couldn't We're agree more. We're all in more. this together. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And and uh, there are a lot of great uh, LPJ professionals out there, uh, like both of you, that that really do um, some phenomenal work. So my my hats off to all of the the ladies of the LPJ. Um, Renee, as we, we wrap up, we, we just got a, a couple of minutes left, but uh, we wanted to give you an opportunity uh, to maybe share with the listeners um, the best way that they can uh, get in touch with you, number one, but also if they're interested in helping uh, you know, with your charity and, and doing some of the great work, how they can um, contribute, whether it be financially or even maybe volunteering with some of their time to help out. Um, where's the best place to go to, to get that information if they want to reach out to you? Oh, absolutely. I love any kind of help. I'm always looking for help. It's uh they can contact me at R Powell, uh P O W E L L at Clearviewgolfclub dot com. And um or if they go and they just look up Clearview Golf Club, uh they would find um an address and everything there. But R Powell at Clearviewgolfclub dot com and anybody can reach me there. Perfect. Well, Renee, we want to thank you um, for coming on the show this morning and and sharing some great thoughts and insight to uh, not only the game, but uh, also sharing, um, you know, the the memory of your father and and the great work that he did to to start things off. And, you know, we want to wish you much continued success. Now, Cindy mentioned earlier um, that uh, about a tournament in June, I know you're uh, given current – uh, climate out there that you're not sure, but uh, when was it scheduled? When is it scheduled for? Well, we have a dinner on on Sunday, June seventh, and then the pro am is the following day, Monday, on the eighth of uh, of June. So uh, we've been doing it for quite a few years, and 
Cindy comes, and I missed her last year, and so I'm so excited that she'll be able to come this year because she gives them some incredible tips to the audience. And um, <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully that will uh, that will be able to take place. Um, you know, because it is it's a fundraiser for our foundation and for for our our women veterans program. I couldn't agree more. Um, if for some reason, obviously, depending on what happens, are you um, are you planning on on maybe rescheduling later in the year if necessary? Um, have you got to that point yet, or are you still sort of undecided there too? Well, you know, if we if if it's we're unable to do it at that time, then I will postpone it because um, it is uh, it, it helps to raise funds for for our veterans program, mm-hmm. which is something that I'm just so dedicated to, and so I don't want to go a year without something happening and us being able to do things. And and because as right. I say, we're our program is year round and it's cost free, so uh, and it continues to grow. So um, the, the women pay for absolutely nothing. Perfect. Um, for those of you listening to the show, you can go to ClearviewGolfClub.com. Uh, find all well, kinds of great information. Well, no, it's, it's, about the... it's going to be R. Powell at ClearviewGolfClub.com. Okay, or, my apologies. R... Yeah, or they can go to our website, which is www.ClearviewGolfClub.com, or just if, or just even if they just type in Clearview Golf Club, they'll find a lot of information on how to get to us. Perfect. Renee, thank you very much for joining Cindy and I this morning on the Women of Golf. and. Um, Good luck this season. Hopefully, we will be um, back to normal here before uh, before due time. And uh, I hope that your tournament is able to uh, go off uh, on its scheduled time. We'll be uh, keeping in our thoughts and prayers. But thank you so much for for what you give back to the game and and for being such a, a force uh, with with many of the veterans out there as well. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. And Cindy, I look forward to seeing you. I can't wait. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Um, all right. That was our special guest, Renee Powell. And I know we ran a couple of minutes over time, so we want to thank you all for tuning in uh, to Women of Golf show this morning. And uh, we're out of here. We'll see you next week here on the Women of Golf. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, Ted. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening this morning to the Women of Golf show. Tune in live each week by visiting blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. If you can't join us live, check out our on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. To get updates for future shows and upcoming guests, you can follow us on Facebook at Women of Golf. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO and Cindy at Cindy Miller Golf. Please remember to join us next week on the Women of Golf Show. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.